Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. What's up, guys? What an amazing episode of The Greatness Vision. You're about to hear interviewed Grace Puma, former COO of Pepsi Company, and Christiana Smith-Shee, former head of retail for Nike. These are two women who have came up in the world just crushing it in their business lives. And we're here talking about their new book, Career Forward. So it's a really amazing episode with just two people that really rose to the top of their game in their careers and uh, and how they did it and the book. And we go dive deep in the book. So stay tuned. Hope you enjoy the episode. Guys, welcome to this episode of The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Machazzi. And boy, do we have two special guests. We got Grace Puma and Christiana Smith-Sheet in the house. What's up, ladies? Yes, yeah, nice to see you. Hey, doing, Darius. Uh, good to see you guys. So um, do you mind if I do a little bit of housekeeping and we'll get started with the show? Go for it. Let's do it. All right. So for listeners who knew the show, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. People are living their passions and those creating greatness in the world and do so despite the odds. My friends Grace and Christiana are neither short of passion nor greatness. So uh, we are here to talk today about their new book, Career Forward, Strategies from the Women Who Made It. And uh, this is really, uh, I'm, I've been looking forward to this episode, love bringing people into the, into the show that have, have done all sorts of things. We bring a lot of entrepreneurs in the show. Sometimes we get to our presence graced with individuals who have made it big in the corporate world. And, and both Christiana and Grace have done, have done that and done that really big. Um, if you guys don't mind, I'd love to give a little bit of your formal bios. And then we, if we can jump into some origin story, that would be, that would be great from, from at least where I'm sitting. You guys down for that? Sure. Yeah, sounds great. All right, let's do it. So, uh, we have Grace Puma here. Grace is the former executive vice president and COO of PepsiCo, board member of Organon & Co. and Target, recognized on the most powerful Latina list by Fortune Magazine and named Executive of the Year by Latina Style Magazine. So we got a lot going on there. Some big, big name companies that you all as listeners should know and love. Um, and with Christiana, 
We have uh, the former president of Nike's Consumer Direct Division, leading the global retail and e-commerce business, senior partner at McKinsey and Company uh, before her role at Nike, and named one of the most influential corporate directors by Women, Inc., and currently leads Lovejoy Advisors focused on digitally transforming consumers and retail businesses. So are you guys both doing Lovejoy, or is it just you, Christiana? Correct me. Lovejoy is just me, Darius. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, so if you guys don't mind, you know, we here at the greatness machine, we love origin stories. Again, like when we look at people's like resumes and LinkedIn profiles and these big names that, you know, that, that that's not where you began. That's kind of where we end up, but would love, um, maybe if, grace, if you wouldn't mind maybe starting off and giving us some of your origin story and I'd love to hear the same from you as well, Chris, Christiana. Sure. Happy to. So really thinking back on the origin, it probably started when I was um, first graduated out of school. I, I had an opportunity to work in a lot of different industries. Um, so I worked for Container Corporation of America and ultimately Gillette and uh, BASF. And then I was able to move into consumer products with Kraft Foods. And then I made a big move and changed and went to an airline for three years, which was an incredible experience for me. And I ended up uh, basically after leaving that position, I moved into PepsiCo and spent a number of years there, you know, climbing through different uh, scope changes. So, you know, I think when I look back on it, my origin started with, you know, really thinking through how to grow in supply chain and procurement. And I did that in a lot of different companies, which gave me some some good background. Do you consider yourself like like a like as a as a COO, like, are you an ops process, hardcore, like, this is how everything needs to be, like, what bucket this needs to go into type of person? Yeah, is it's that- interesting because, you know, I, w- I didn't grow up running plants like a lot of operations people did. So I, I really think about myself and throughout my career as more of a transformation leader. You know, I had very core procurement experience and global procurement experience, but Really, it was really applying those skills in in different uh, companies and functions to transform capability. So that was really more my expertise is leading teams and building capability. How many folks did you have rolling up to you uh, when you were a CEO of Pepsi? (laughs) Thousands. Um, So we had a matrix organization. So there was hundreds of thousands in the field rolling up into the businesses and then functionally into me, um, probably about three to 5,000 directly. Um, So it was a big role. Oh, so three to five thousand direct reports. Okay, I, if I if I was in your shoes, I would have I would have that for sure. Like, like here's here's my cred. Like like my my one of my <laughs> <laughs> my street cred. My my uh, one of my partners in my current firm. She was the um, global head of retail for Schwab. Uh, for and so she had. I was joking. I'm like, you got to tell people you had seven thousand direct reports. Come on, like, like, <laughs> like this is street cred. <laughs> so you know, cool. it's interesting though. Today, it's not so much direct. It's like everything's matrixed. You know, everybody works yeah. through collaboration and functions and teams, and so that end to end supply chain really makes it a little bit uh, fuzzier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially in a global company. Um, well, yeah. I want to talk more about that, but let's, uh, Christiana, why don't you give us some of your origin story, and then we can kind of see how. See, it all comes together. All right. So I'm going to start my story even a little further back than Grace did. I grew up in San Diego, California. And particularly when I grew up there, San Diego was a very isolated, like Navy savings and loan headquartered town. And I was the middle child of five and I was the, the younger daughter. So I wasn't the oldest kid. I wasn't the only kid. I wasn't even the only girl. There was nothing about me that kind of traditionally would be one of those leader profiles. And I say that because, you know, I want other women to know that all of that profiling stuff that they tell you is, is 
is irrelevant because nobody would have picked me out of a photo and said, you know, this kid's going to go all the way to being president of Nike. You know, they never would have. But there was, I think there was just something in me that always wanted to see what was out there. So I got out of San Diego and went away to college. I went to college in the Bay Area, but I left the Bay Area and went to New York, worked in investment banking for a while. So a little bit, a little bit close to the industry you're in, Darius, but, um, but a very different role. I was an analyst and I crunched numbers. That's what I did. I did it all day long. I did it till, you know, two, three in the morning. And uh, kind of got partway through that and said, I don't want this kind of life. So went to business school, got out of business school, went to consulting. Like if you look back over it, it all looks very, you know, step by step. But at the time, each step that I took was kind of like a risk for me because I was leaving things mm -hmm. behind and moving into something new. But I ultimately landed in something I loved, which is doing consulting in a big firm where I could serve the clients I liked and do the kind of work I liked, which for me was retail, retail, digital, e-commerce stores. I didn't care what it was. As long as it was selling something to somebody, you know, I was in. And one of my clients for a good 10 years was Nike. And they, you know, kindly offered me jobs multiple times while I was at my McKinsey career. But McKinsey was working for me. I was able to go part-time. I was able to get elected partner. I was able to get elected senior partner. Paved a couple of new paths there. And um, But eventually, Nike made me an offer I couldn't refuse, which was to come in and lead the direct-to-consumer business. And so that's when I finally left consulting, went to Nike, jumped in to a very deep end of a pool, um, and had a great career there. And then retired from Nike a few years ago and, and with grace, wrote this book, Career Forward. What what years were you at Nike? <clears throat> I joined in 2010 and I retired at the end of 2016. So I was there for about seven years. Was Phil Knight still CEO then? Phil was. Is he still? CEO, no. CEO, no. no, Phil, no. Phil was, yeah. no. Uh, Mark Parker took over as CEO in 2009. So right before I joined. And actually kind of restructured a bit and created the role that I came into. But Phil was very present. He was chairman of the board for a good half of the time that I was there. And he was my client before I joined Nike. So he's been a big supporter of mine and very kindly wrote us um, a blurb, an endorsement for the book, which we ended up nice. putting on the front cover because, because Phil's words matter. You know, he's someone that I will respect, you know, till the bitter end. And uh, having him appreciate the, the ideas that we put in career forward really meant a lot. That's great. Yeah. I love his book, Shoe, Shoe Dog. I don't think have you mm -hmm. guys read that book? Well, yes, of course. Do I, I have a signed say, I'm copy? Like, I'm like, come Maybe. on, you're a former Nike <laughs> alumni. Like, wait, like that's like a dumb question. <laughs> well, and honestly, his, so his publisher was also Scribner and his editor was when it was the, the senior editor at, at Scribner. And I think, that gave us some cred with him when he saw that because he's very familiar with those people and obviously knows knows the process they go through. Yeah. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Mishazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stopped me from fully enjoying the little things in life, canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits, allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. 
This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply & Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. So, so, um... I have more questions about Nike, but but I'll come back to it. Um, so how do you how did you guys connect? How did the two of you guys? I mean, I'm guessing you guys didn't just sit like randomly meet and decide to start writing a book together. That that seems like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we did not. I'll start on that one. So Grace and I literally met day one of both of us joining the same corporate board for a public retailer. Didn't know each other from Adam, and it's almost like first day of school when you get into one of those you know, situations, you're sort of sussing everybody out and, you know, boards are very collaborative and they spend a lot of time sitting in a room together. So you have, you know, plenty of opportunities to hear somebody and, you know, chat with them and have dinner with them and all that. And it didn't take very long for us to figure out that, um, that we were pretty like-minded. And even though our career backgrounds were very different, you heard, you heard how, how Grace went through her career and how I did, they don't sound the same at all. And yet um, we had similar perspectives on what it took to build a great career on, you know, what the challenges were for us as women, how we could sort of stay on the front foot. And I think, you know, after connecting a couple of times over drinks and spending time together, um, it kind of naturally evolved into a friendship. And then from the friendship to this idea that 
you know, maybe we should write a book. I don't know, Grace, you want to pick it up from there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other things we had is really we, we got to be friends and we started to talk about our lives and both of us have adult hard to call them children, um, but adult children in their 30s that are really at that perfect point of starting to get their strides in their career. And we talked about the fact that, you know, we really enjoy and want to be able to give them the benefit of our experiences. Um, because although our career years might be a different point in time, there were many things that are just as valid today um, as they were when we went through it. So um, then we also talked about the fact that we both mentor people and we enjoy mentoring men and women. And we thought this was a great way to give back. So that kind of birthed the idea of why don't we write a book and get our collective experiences and our collective information together and share things that could be um, helpful um, going forward for others. How did you guys... So I wrote a book. It's called The Core Value Equation, which is basically how do you operationalize values in a business? And and I I like writing. I'm 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 like a person that like I'd write for fun if I had nothing to do. Um, <laughs> would you consider yourselves both writers? Did you guys use like uh, helpers to help you write? How did you guys like? How did that process? Because I I'm curious how you would write a book with with two people. Yeah, um, I'll tell you that first. You know, it's interesting. This is our first experience, um, so it was a really in many ways, it was a huge learning curve. And in other ways, it was really invigorating um, because we had a chance to kind of be very reflective. Um, so the experience itself, we both enjoyed. Um, but I would say, you know, what we did is we came together and we talked about the topics once we created a strategic outline of the main topics we wanted to cover. And we shared our experiences and we had a partner that then incorporated um, that content into a flow because when you have two people writing, it's more complicated. And I have to say, you know, looking back now, this has been almost two years where we've been writing this um, from the beginning to the end. It really flowed very well. Um, we had a lot of um, collaborative, and we 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 also build on each other. We learn and we trigger, and it's been a, it's been a good process, good creative process. I I would say um, we were complete babes in the woods. Serious. I don't know how you were when you wrote a book, but we had no idea. And so, you know, what I tell people now is um, essentially we, in we instinctively leveraged our network and, and that's mm -hmm. what you got to do. So when we were trying to find a writing partner, like Grace said, we called friends who had written books and we said, you know, did you have a good third party editor, ghostwriter, collaborator, someone you worked with? And we got the, the name of a woman named Amelia Forzak who helped us whip our ideas into shape and get them on paper. I don't think we could have done it without a, a partner, like Grace said. And then when we wanted to explore a publishing deal, we called friends and said, how do we get an agent? And someone was, was good enough to connect us to, to Mc, the agent that works with McKinsey's uh, business books. And then the agent, you know, we just, it was just like that. How do you find a PR firm? We call friends. They told us, oh, these are the top three. So <laughs> I would say, um, one of the thoughts we have in our book is about the importance of building your professional network. And us writing this book is the perfect example of how yeah. that pays off in ways you never would have anticipated. I agree. That's so cool. I love that. Um, so I, I guess one of the questions I have for both of you, because it sounds like, like obviously, even what you were saying, Christiana, around how you ended up kind of like in this securitist path to ending up, you know, running a, a big business you know, through, through a non-traditional method, right? Going from consulting to 
heading up a, a, a large business yeah. is I know people do that. I have a friend that was a former CEO of Weight Watchers and he just went to BCG and now he just took over running a big company. So I know that there's some recruiting for sometimes that's for like executives will like hang their hat while they figure out what's next. Um, but when you start looking at your career, as far as, you know, I mean, maybe the book talks about this um, since it's around how, you know, how to you know move your career forward. Like when you start thinking of like, what was like the number one thing that got you to where each of you got to in your business lives and in your, in your careers? Like, again, I, I highly doubt when you were an analyst in, 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 uh, in the investment making world, world, you know, being hazed and working, you know, 18 hours a day, that you're like, oh, I'm going to go run a business for Nike one day. And I doubt if when Grace was, was writing through all these different parts of these business, operational parts of these businesses that she thought that she'd end up, you know, being, becoming a, a number two, essentially at PepsiCo. When you start thinking through like, huh, what was that thing? Because here at the Grades Machine, it's around people that have, you know, created greatness in the world despite the odds. And when I hear this story, I'm like, that's despite the odds. There's, these were super hard jobs to get. What do you think was, for each of you, the number one, you know, thing that got you there? I, I, I will tell you, we, we, we firmly believe that the number one thing is to know where you're trying to go. And we call it in the book, we call it your cardinal direction. Okay. And it sounds kind of, you know, I know a little bit up in the air, a little bit theoretical. It's not. The idea is over time, as you're going through work experiences, as you're going through school, as you're learning about yourself, to be translating that into a really conscious intent for where you're trying to get to in the world. And it, it, it will evolve over time without question, right? Like you said, when I was a corporate finance analyst sitting at Merrill Lynch at my desk at 1 a.m. I was not thinking about running Nike's retail business. But I knew what I already liked and didn't like at that point. I knew I was good at analytics. I knew that I liked working with people and being in a job where I was not alone or isolated. Um, I knew that I liked solving hard problems. That's what led me to consulting. And then when I was in consulting, I had a chance to work across industries and realize very quickly that I loved retail. I loved everything about it. I loved the products. I loved the people. I loved the creativity. I loved the direct-to-consumer engagement aspect of it, the pricing, analytics. I loved the whole deal. So again, it wouldn't surprise you that eventually I oriented my career toward running a retail business because that, to me, would be the, the pinnacle of testing what I knew and having a chance to shape a part of the world that I, that I really cared about. So that was my cardinal direction. That's how it evolved over time. And having a point of view on that kept me on the front foot because I kept making choices that were moving me towards something mm -hmm. versus letting recruiters and you know serendipity and fate completely drive where I ended up in the world. And I tell you, if I would have done that, I'd still be in San Diego. And that's what in San Diego, by the way. But that's so, right. Wait, I, I want to, Grace. I want to hear your thoughts on this too. But before we go there for one second, wh why? Why would you have? Why do you think you would have been in San Diego as opposed? To, because I mean, one could say that. I mean, I hear you on the intentionality, having intentionality. But it sounds to me like you were just like really leaning into what where your interests and talents kind of drew you. It, like, tell, just kind of elaborate on because that for a minute. There's a path of least resistance. I think a lot of times for a lot of us, which is less intentional and very comfortable, can be very, very mm. comfortable. In my case, I was, you know, most of my family stayed in San Diego. It's a very nice place to live. Weather's yeah. great. People are nice. You know, you can get a job there. Most of my family stayed in San Diego. The better um, 
undergrad deal that I got in terms of scholarships was at a state school. It was at a UC, at UC San Diego. I went, I went away to school. I just, I knew that I needed to stretch myself beyond kind of what the natural parameters of where I was were going to take me. And that, that, that's what we're trying to, I think, suggest in Career Forward is, is if you use intentionality to help make some of your decisions, you probably will push yourself a little further. You probably will take some risks because as a kid, you know, moving away from home and clearly involves risks. I know plenty of kids that ended up back home, right? It, some of my cousins and my siblings, it doesn't always work out. And moving across country to New York to all by myself with nobody there, that's a risk. But the, you know, the, the path of less resistance would have been to just go to school locally, get a job at a local bank and stay exactly where I was. And you know what? It would be okay. But we wanted people to at least think about what it would look like to go ahead and have some big dreams for their career and then actually take the steps that they needed to take to move them toward it. I love that. What about you, Grace? How, do, how would you answer that? You know, I think it's, um, I mean, certainly we've obviously, the, one of the core is cardinal direction. But I think beyond that, I'd say it's really what's led me down the path is and opened up opportunities is building professional equity. Okay. And that came from learning in different environments, having the confidence to learn um, uh, an incredible drive for results, um, being very focused on being able to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, making moves. As I mentioned, I, I went to a lot of different cross industry experiences and those incur those inherently would would uh, involve risk, right? You, there are different cultures, there are different industries, there are different um, processes and practices. Um, but I actually love that. I leaned in on the fact that I was good at transformations and that I had a lot of capacity to apply myself. Um, and so I think, honestly, you don't, you're not hatched. We didn't wake up. Neither one of us said, gee, you know, I didn't wake up and say I wanted to be the COO of PepsiCo one day. I never did. But every single job, I was looking at what did I gain and how did I contribute? And I used to think to myself that once I was in a job and I felt it might be a big job, that I that it wasn't a stretch for me anymore. I would push myself to go do something different or raise my hand to expand my responsibilities to keep myself challenged and to make sure that I was using those career journey years as a way to continue to build professional equity. And that served me well. And then the opportunities came and they opened up um, because that was really my focus. I wasn't chasing a level or a title. Got it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I, I have a, one of my business partners from my current venture. He's a get, former guest on the show. We haven't aired his episode yet, but 
but so this will come out actually after I heard his episode. He he was the uh, head of ACO and private financial management at Goldman. So he had, I don't know, a couple thousand direct reports since we're keeping tabs of that on this show today. And, uh, you know, big job, right? He ran all personal wealth for, for Goldman. And he has this thing that I hear that you guys are kind of talking about right now, which is he calls it like operating at the top of your license. Right. <laughs> and, and he and I, I, we were interviewing a woman who, uh, this amazing woman, African-American woman out of her family's from Africa, actually. Um, and she was a HBS grad MBA. And we were talking to her about potentially coming on and doing some work with us. And he was giving her career advice. And he said, you know, I always tell young people that they need to operate at the top of their license. And the reason he was saying this to her is that she had some really good experience in wealth management, which is the business that we're working within. And she was going into more venture capital stuff. And he was like saying, look, like, I think you're, you're potentially like hurting yourself because you're moving in these areas where you're not getting value for this past work that you did. And you're having to like recreate. Now, if you go all in on that, then it's a good risk to take. But just, I think that a lot of young people like make that mistake. They'll hop around. They don't, you know, get focused. They don't go to operate at the top of their license. They get penalized for it. And we live in a world today where it's like, no, follow your passions, you know, and everyone's kind of popping around. And I always tell folks, I'm like, look, when I look at your resume, if I see you popping around too much, like I instantly am like, this person's not trustworthy. Like they're not a serious person. What do you, how, do, how do you guys think of that, this concept of operating at the top of your license? I know your book kind of talks about some of these concepts um, that we talked about it earlier before the show, um, just around people being focused and really, you know, finding their career path in that way. But yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I, I'd like to, I, I think that this is something in this world today that is not being talked about. And I think that people are out there just not being thoughtful enough to your point earlier, Christiana, about being intentional. I think that's a great concept, this operating at the top of your license. I think for us, that would relate to how we talk about figuring out what your career direction ought to be, what your cardinal direction ought to be. We talk about passion. We talk about purpose because those are both important. But then we say inventory what you're good at. What have you actually done well? What have you gravitated toward? What have you demonstrated excellence in? Right. And then finally, thinking about environment, you know, where do you want to work? What kind of people give you energy? What kind of environment do you actually want to contribute to? Right. So there's four pillars that we say, think through those things in a really strategic way and see if you start to get your direction kind of crystallized for where you're trying to take your career. Because you're right. If you're constantly jumping from thing to thing, you haven't built what Grace talked about, which is professional equity. And professional equity is just a, you know, a fancy way of saying a great track record that people are willing to invest against, right? Because you're in, you're in the investment business. You understand the notion of equity, right? You want to grow equity mm -hmm. over time. We say it's the same thing in your career. You demonstrate impact. You demonstrate a track record. You put numbers on the board in your jobs as you're going through your career, you're building professional equity. And you can trade on that. You can choose to invest that equity then in taking risks or asking your employer for flexibility or getting raises or promotions over time because you've earned it. Yeah. the um, One of the things we talk about is uh, which is a concept that directly correlates to this is um, thinking of yourself with as a growth stock. Mm. And it, it correlates to what you're bringing up, you know, and what does that mean? 
That means that if you think about a growth stock, like think about Apple or something, you're thinking about, you know, why does people, why do people want to own Apple? Well, you know, it's got great growth. It's innovative. They're always looking around the corner and investing in new technologies so that they can go ahead and give a big return. Um, it's the same thing for yourself. If you have a growth stock mentality, you're not going to just be thinking about, you know, what's, what's my title, what's my job, and what's my employer doing for me tomorrow. You're going to be thinking about how do I become the best I can be? How do I invest in myself? How do I learn? How do I take the jobs that are going to be stretch and maybe challenging? So a growth stock mentality means you're going to evolve yourself and there's so many benefits to it. Um, there's benefits that come in terms of compensation and title and opportunities inside and outside the company. But more than anything, it really builds you to, to be able to grow yourself professionally. And it takes hard work um, and it takes focus. And so that concept, we believe that uh, people who really want to be able to have successful careers as they define it, that's an opportunity to think about how do you model that mindset. I love that. Um, and so when we look at young, like youngsters out there or people coming up in the world and, you know, and I guess like, I'd like to maybe pivot to the book a little bit because I think that, that obviously the, the book is, you know, career forward. And, and it sounds like this really came as, as a project where you're like kind of almost retrospective looking at like, uh, like two great careers and, and lessons learned throughout that time. Um, you know, in the sub, the subtitle is, is strategies from the women who made it. Um, I have a question for this. Just in the book, like, is is this a book that is like for women specifically? I know we talked a little bit about this before the show, but I, I, I mean, as a man reading that, I'm like, okay, like that's interesting, but it sounds like it's geared towards women. Like, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts about that. We've actually gotten the opposite reaction from men who've read the book, which is that they relate to a lot more of the advice and the content than we had even anticipated. And when we wrote it, of course, we had to have a target, right? You know, if you're writing a book, a good book, just like a good ad campaign, you have to have a target. And our target was what we know. And what we know is women, women who want a professional career could be across any field, by the way, not just corporate medicine, you know, academia, nonprofit. But interestingly, the, the men that reviewed the book for us. So for instance, the editor at Scribner, who ultimately went to bat for our book and, and, and signed the deal with us, talked a lot about what resonated with them. Because the reality is we've all been newbies at some point in our career. We've all been the other in some way in our career. It could just be because we just landed at a new company and we don't know the culture and we don't understand it. Certainly people of color, certainly other underrepresented groups can all identify with some of the moments that we talk about in the book where you really need to take charge of what's happening and, and moving the front foot in terms of how you're showing up at work and what you're trying to do in your career. So we've been really pleasantly surprised, I think, Darius, at how wide the, the really relevant audience is for the career advice that we've put together. Love that. What about you, Grace? What are your thoughts? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think the career advice we have in here is applicable to men. It's applicable to women. It's also applicable with Christiana just touched on that this book isn't about how do you become us. <laughs> this book is about how do you um, how do you um, become and set the strategy and the roadmap that you want to achieve. Oh, I love that. Hey, Grace, I'd love to hear your feedback on this. Yeah, absolutely. I think this book applies to everyone. Um, clearly, men, women. 
Um, I also think what's important is for everybody to realize that we didn't write this book to say, how do you become us? We wrote this book for people to be able to define strategically what is the career and the aspirations that they have. And so clearly it applies to women, it applies to men. It, we've also gotten feedback that applies to people of all different types of industry. We've had people in the medical field, in the service industry, um, consultancy um, that also find it very applicable. Uh, so academics. Um, so we would encourage people to really read it. I think you're going to find it to be a very practical guide for everyone. What do you think? So, so I know in, in the process of writing my book, I had to like figure out who my avatar was and who's like, the, <laughs> you know, and I mean, I was literally like, mine was like mid-market entrepreneur, CEO, high growth company, you know, and it was maybe more male centric. I had to like sketch out the whole person, right? Um, when you think of like the ideal human, obviously like the goal would be that everyone loves the book and everyone reads the book. But if you were to say, hey, this is the perfect book for this perfect person, like who would that be? I think when we wrote Career Forward, we had, first of all, our kids in mind, as Grace said, <laughs> millennials, because they are, you know, late 20s to mid 30s. They are at the point in their career where it's starting to get real. If it hasn't already, maybe they're at a manager level. Maybe they've made a couple of, of company moves or job moves. Maybe they're starting to have a family and thinking about their future wealth and income, you know, really begins to get real. And one of the reasons we chose that as our avatar or as our target was because those were the women who were asking us for advice. You know, when Grace and I would would speak to groups and people would come up to us afterwards, you know, it might be a young woman in her 30s who was facing the first fork in the road in her career or who was facing plenty of opportunities and chances to step up, but trying to think about how to prioritize and, and, and what she really wanted to do. And we wanted to speak to her in particular, but then kind of halo out from there to everybody who wants to have a great career. I, I think also, you know, what, what you find today is that a lot of the uh, millennials are hitting that, as you said, kind of mid-management level. And we really feel strongly um, that there's, you know, you only have so much time in your career. So using the time and making the decisions wisely and strategically makes all the difference. And so these are critical moments as they start to define it. And really, it's completely counterintuitive to be telling our target audience, don't chase the job title or, you know, just a new job for the sake of a new job. You know, look at the work, look at strategically what it brings you, think about where you're going. And so all of these things can really make a huge difference based on, you know, the stage of career that they're in. And we wish we had that. We kind of had to figure it out. And so that's why we think uh, this is the right uh, point of, of our audience. I, you know, I, I taught a class at um, here. I, I live in Austin, Texas at UT, their business school, and to a bunch of 20 year olds, 21 year olds. And, uh, and I had, I made a slide that said like, like 10 things I wish I know when I was you. And one of the <laughs> things I said was when my 20s is that you should take asymmetric risk. Like right now is the time to take asymmetric risk because if you, if something hits, like you get outsized returns and that's risk that's harder to take. I'm 45 years old. It just, you know, it's harder to take as much risk. I, I look right now, like literally I'm starting a private equity business right now, private equity fund. I look at my first company I started. I took like half of my net worth, which was not much and put it in that business. I would never do that right now because I have a family and I have a life and I have all these things. So mathematically, like I'm not going to take asymmetric risk at 45 with two kids and a lot of responsibilities. And when I said that to them, I said, guys, like, and I don't just mean it financially. I mean, 
yes, if you want to be an entrepreneur, take asymmetric risk. If you want to go after a really hard job, do it now. You want to become an actor, go do it because you're probably not going to go try to become an actor when you're 40 years old. Um, if you want to go travel around the world, do it now because when you have kids, it's harder to do. Not to say you won't, but I know people that do, but it's less likely. What are your guys' thoughts on like risk-taking when it comes to a career or this idea of asymmetric risk that I'm talking about? You know, I'll I'll start with that. I'll like to share one from my career. Um, first, I would say I would agree with you, but I think it needs to be thoughtful and calculated, the risks you take. Um, and I think that's really important these days because the environments are, are so volatile. You know, when I was a single mom, um, I left a very stable food company and I went to go work for United Airlines. And people thought I was crazy. I was working for a big multinational company and it was a, a chief procurement officer job. So it was a good career move, but it was an airline. And I didn't go there to work for an airline. I went there to work um, for the CEO who was um, a previous oil executive. And he had brought in a leadership team to transform the airline and to ultimately um, sell it off, which is what we did. Those were three of the hardest years I worked. And I loved it. I love the people I work with. I love the experiences I got. It was a much flatter structure. Um, it was super um, risky though, because had I joined or when I joined, it was probably a number of months after that when I had just transformed the functional capability in procurement that the oil crisis hit or the financial crisis hit. And the airlines were facing bankruptcy. I mean, they were very close. And so I went from a very stable food company to a you know, to a financial crisis in the U.S. that put the airline in a very precarious situation. And I remember turning to my boss, who was the chief operating officer at the time, and telling him that our stock was getting down to the price of a latte. And it wasn't funny. You know, I was, you know, I was crunching my own numbers at 2 a.m. You know, I had a, I had a children to support, you know. I mean, it was a big financial concern. And yet, at those moments, I'll tell you, I would have done it again because I got critical experience and we weathered through it and we turned around the performance of the airline and we ended up being the management team that sold it later, like three years later. And I made a ton of opportunity and I went to the big job at PepsiCo for the CPO. So it doesn't always turn out that way, maybe for everybody, but calculated risks, risks that tell you, you know what, I was going to be okay. Okay. If things had gone south, I would have been okay. I had um, a, a career that I could count on and professional equity that I could leverage, but it's still scary in those moments. And so you talk about calculated risks. I would also say having the courage to make some of those steps and know that if it goes south, you're going to be okay. You're going to figure it out. I love that. What about you, Christiana? How do you feel about it? I, I actually agree with the idea of taking asymmetric risk earlier in your career. And I would say that in career forward, we talk about things you can do after that, kind of mid-career in particular, to actually build in some safety nets so that you can take risks later in your career too. But, there, but the downsides can be manageable. And Grace just gave you a perfect example because of her expertise and her network and her reputation. She knew if it didn't work out at that airline, she probably was still going to be able to feed her family right? Find something else, et cetera. Could there be some downside to it? Yes. But would it be asymmetric? Not to the same extent. What we talk about is building your reputation, building your track record, building your professional equity. You know, all of those things help you, frankly, de-risk. 
some of the things that you might do later in life. So both of us have examples where pretty late in our careers, we took risks that other people advised us against, right? In my case, it was after 24 years in consulting, made it all the way to senior partner, had a stable group of clients, da, 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 that I left. And I went to start over again at Nike in an operating role. And I was advised by so many people that what I actually should do was go get on boards, join a private equity firm and make, you know, be an operating partner or just go buy a winery and, you know, like create my own grapes or something. And, and I didn't want to do any of those things because I already knew that honestly, if it didn't work out, the downside was not significant to me. I already had made money. I already was well known. I was already on a board. So I had created options for myself along my career that frankly allowed me to keep taking risks even later in career than people would think you could. And, and that's so empowering. And that's part of what we want to say in Career Forward that anybody can do, you know, across their career. And it's energizing to know, even as you're doing, Darius, that you can start something new later in your career, that you can change gears, that you can take a big leap of faith into something because you frankly built in a safety net. Yeah. So it's funny you say that. Um, it, like when I, I, I ended up leaving a role of a, you know, of a CEO role of a, a business I had built that had a thousand employees and, and I did it cause I was unhappy. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and some of my key employees were like, you're crazy. And I said, look, I don't want to, I'm like, I only have one life to live. I want to, I want to like enjoy what I'm doing and I'm not enjoying this anymore. So I'm going to go figure out what's next, you know? Um, and you know, it was, it was, I did it at 41 years old. I'm 45 now and I'm now on to the next chapter. And it's like, I wouldn't be here had I not made that choice. And I wouldn't mm -hmm. have made that choice had I not been there. Right. Um, I think that, and it's that's energizing, I, right? It sounds like it's opened up all of these different paths for you. Right. And you're in charge of what you're doing. Yeah, and that's I just, what we want our readers. We want our readers to feel like that can be them. Yeah, I, I pick, I'm picking up on that. You know, one of the things that you talk about in the book that that I wanted to talk about, which kind of kind of goes to the, what we're talking about right now, is this idea of knowing your worth, right? And mm -hmm. and and what I found is, and this is you know, it, it, it's interesting because I think that it I think it depends on the lens you're coming from. I've always come from the lens of I'm. I'm an entrepreneur and just I'm kind of the decision maker of figuring out what worth is and market drives that a little bit. And what I find is in business specifically, um, you know, that, you know, there's there's a bit of like an like a supply and demand curve that shows you value, right? This is what price is because, you know, your demand is X and there's a supply of Y and where it lines up, like someone's got to kind of hit that mark. If And if you have enough confidence, you can get that or get more potentially. Um, when you guys start thinking about this, how do you how do you strategically approach that? Because I think that there's, I've noticed, at least in my career, that some executives I work with, they they know their worth and they're pretty, like I guess, practical about it. Some, it's like, uh, I dread the conversation I have to have with them because it's like they're going to throw some stupid number at me every time. And, and, and I have to like, it's just like every 12 months, I'm like dreading that conversation. How, how do you guys think about this? Because I think it's an important part of, of career path. The important part of coming up is like having, I guess, a, a mindfulness around one's worth and going out there and getting, getting it in a way that feels, I, I always say it should feel like both people won at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But yeah, how do you guys think about that? So I think I'll start on that. Um, 
first of all, how do you measure worth, right? It's not just your compensation. It's your compensation and your ability to influence the type of work you're doing. But at the end of the day, you have to be the advocate for yourself. You don't rely on just your company or any or your boss or anyone you're working with to be that. You have to own that you own, making sure you're competitively paid. So one of the things we encourage practically is to do research, okay? Don't get emotional about it. Understand, and there's a lot of sources for that. What are the type of positions that like yours and what are they getting paid and stay connected and stay informed. Um, the other thing we talk about is as an advocate, advocate of yourself is pay attention when your job changes. You know, I talk a lot about when you're a high potential, you have capacity. People who have capacity will be loaded up. It's just human nature in companies and firms. They'll just have you do more and more and more and more and, you know, and they'll give you more. And that's wonderful because you're growing and you're developing. But if your scope starts to balloon out, advocate for yourself to document it and go in and have a fact-based conversation of what you're doing and how you're contributing for the company that allows people to maybe revisit whether your job is scoped and paid well. So those are just two examples, but I think the underlining point is advocate, look at it pragmatically, and lead with the facts. Um, and usually that ends up in a, in a pretty good outcome. I love that. What about you, Christiana? What feedback do you have? I, I always believe knowledge is power. So for starters, staying aware and abreast of what positions like yours are earning out in the marketplace is kind of a bare minimum. And I don't mean every week you have to be checking, you know, uh, Glassdoor and seeing what, you know, what offer ranges are. But certainly, you know, on an annual basis, or as Grace said, when your responsibilities are starting to shift, understanding where compensation is for that kind of role is really, really helpful. You may still decide to do nothing with that information, but it's your choice. And nowadays with the, you know, with the, the availability of information on the internet, you can do that a whole lot easier than you could when we were coming up. And I think it's the burdens on you to really know and understand that. Cause I can tell you from, from the senior leadership level, you know, now I chair the compensation committee for UPS as an example. Companies are certainly every year doing an external benchmarking of what the compensation levels are and what competitive compensation is for their top jobs. But there isn't that same focus on doing it, you know, lower into the organization unless there's a career move or a change. That's really why you need to stay abreast of it so you can bring that information to the table when you think it's time to have a discussion. Oh, that makes so much sense. Um, so, guys, I know we're, we're kind of getting towards the end of the hour here. Um, here at The Greatness Machine, we love to ask the greatness questions. So I'd love to get some feedback from both of you guys. Have obviously created so much greatness in the world. Um, it's been so much fun having you here just to talk about the book. And, and uh, before we go, we'll, we'll tell folks that the book's coming out February 20th, 2024. Uh, and, and we'll tell people, folks where they can get that. But before we go there, I'd like to get, get, get to our greatness question. You guys ready for it? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> All right, let's it. do it. Who's going to go first? So I know who I'm asking first. You want to go? Let's see. We'll draw straws. No? You, <laughs> you pick. You pick, Gary. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Grace is going first. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right. For listeners, you don't know, I just closed my eyes and like did it like when we were in like third grade. Um, <laughs> all right. So, Grace, we'll start with you. What is the number one barrier to creating greatness that you've overcome in your life and how did you overcome it? So I would say resiliency. Um, I had found, you know, first of all, my parents came from Cuba and I watched them start over in, in America. And I think if it's one thing I picked up was resiliency. 
and I've had to apply that throughout my career um, over, you know, obstacles where you go through different business cycles, where you have big leadership changes, cultural changes. You know, I just have found that staying pragmatic and figuring out what, what is in my control and having faith and having confidence that it will work itself through has allowed me to really be able to stay focused and continue to keep my capacity throughout my career. So resiliency, number one skill. <laughs> All right. I love that. Love resiliency. Let's go to Christiana. What is the number one barrier to creating greatness that you've overcome in your life and how did you overcome it? Okay, the number one barrier to creating greatness in my life was worrying about what other people thought about me. And I think maybe it's partly because I was a middle child, as I said back at the beginning, I just want to make people happy and I wanted everybody to agree. And I was very conscious of whether somebody quote unquote liked me or didn't like me. And as a 20 something early in my 20s, I volunteered at a mental health center, a clinic for chronically mentally ill. So people that are schizophrenic or have other issues and are just never going to get better. My mom was a clinical psychologist and she ran this clinic. And so when I was in college, I volunteered. And I would take the clinic patients out on field trips on the bus to the San Diego um, fair, the Del Mar fair every year. And, um, and they would do things that would cause other people to stare at us. And they were unpredictable. And a lot of things would happen. And what I had to learn was, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm not going to see these people again. I don't care if they think that the person I'm with is weird. I don't care if they think they don't know what's really going on. They don't know what their struggles are. They don't know me. And it was the beginning of my development of a self-confidence that regardless of what other people thought of me, if I thought I was doing the right thing, then I was probably going to be okay. And I think that allowed me to do a lot of things that otherwise I probably would have been afraid to do. I love that. You guys are just coming on here and dropping all this knowledge for our listeners. So much <laughs> appreciation over here. Thank you. Um, well, you guys, listen, uh, we are at the end of the show here. So the book is Career Forward, Strategies from the Women Who Made It. And we have two top dogs here who have made it big in their careers. Just drop in knowledge for listeners so they can level up and create greatness in their lives. Um, comes out February 20th, 2024. So Anyone's out there listening, where can our listeners, where can they pre-order it? Where can they get the book? Where can they connect with both of you if they want to learn more? If they want to connect with us, they can come to our website, careerforwardbook.com. And if they want to buy the book, it's available now um, and when it launches on any place that you would naturally think of to buy a book, amazon.com, Target, Barnes & Noble, you name it, Career Forward is probably there. All right. Awesome. So you guys got that. We'll put that in the show notes, careerforward.com. And again, the book is Career Forward Strategies from the Women Who Made It coming out next year. Christiana, Grace, so much gratitude from here at the Greatness, greatness Machine. Thank you. So thankful to have you guys on the show. Thank you. Pleasure, Gary. I really it. enjoyed it. Best of luck. Oh, thank you. Thank Bye -bye you, guys. Until Bye. next time, peace out. We love you. All right. Bye. <laughs> You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, 
print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.